0: You may have heard the Christian story described as good news. And over the last couple of weeks, as we've looked at bits and bobs from John's gospel, we've seen plenty of good news. Remember that John said that he wrote this so that we could be offered life. That we believe in Jesus, that we follow Jesus and in him find life. Sounds alright, doesn't it? Remember, at the start of John's Gospel, his description of Jesus, of God, as the Word, the author, the creator of all things. How that Word took on flesh, how the author wrought himself into our stories so that we could know him and be known by him. Sounds quite decent, doesn't it? But we have to remember, too, some of the other things that we've heard. That the life that Jesus came to offer was offered because all we know apart from him is death. That the light was coming into the world, but the world didn't recognise it. The world had been overcome by darkness. Remember uh, that we're made in the image of God. And yet we're separated from him because of our rejection and our rebellion doesn't sound as good, does it? Well, today we come to the part of the Christian story where the author himself, who has written himself into our tragedy, where he is erased. And on the face of it, it is not the sort of material that many people would scream good news about. If we recognize and learn anything else today. We should be able to recognise that the tragedy that we've explored so far, the darkness, the dry, the desolate desert, the results of our rebellion against God, if nothing else, we should learn that none of it is trivial. As we take a moment today to contemplate the cross, the death of Jesus, we have to see at the very least, the bare minimum, that the Christian story is a serious one. Sometimes you hear it said, or perhaps you've thought it or said it yourself, in some sort of easy breezy sort of way. Why can't God just accept us? Sure, we're guilty, we're not as good as we could be, but, you know, just forgive and forget. And, and we, we do, we say it like that, we phrase it like that, and it's a nice idea. But before we go any further, I just want us to be crystal clear about this point. When we see how God acts, how God intervenes in Jesus, how drastic it is, how severe and serious it is, that should help us. To see that the scenario, that the story, the situation we find ourselves in is much more serious than we usually give it credit for. We are in that situation. And what happens in, in John's Gospel, chapters 18, chapters 19, where we'll spend our time today, we'll see that simply accepting us really isn't an option. We all know that Jesus died. It's part of our shared history um, culturally in our society is a well-known fact let's begin though by thinking about the cause of death i'm going to begin reading and we're going to read a lot from john's gospel chapters 18 and 19 and i'm going to begin reading at verse 19. the high priest questioned jesus about his disciples and about his teaching "'I've spoken openly to the world,' Jesus answered him. "'I've always taught in the synagogue and in the temple "'where all the Jews congregate, and I haven't spoken anything in secret. "'Why do you question me? "'Question those who heard what I told them. "'Look, they know what I said.' "'When he had said these things, "'one of the officials standing by slapped Jesus, saying, "'Is this the way you answer the high priest?' If I have spoken wrongly, Jesus answered him, give evidence about the wrong. But if rightly, why do you hit me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. This is the first interrogation of Jesus, if you like, after his arrest. And there's no charge brought. There's no evidence presented. He's simply abused and sent to the next authority, if you like, in our legal system where when we don't find an answer at one level, we keep sending it up and up and up and up, hoping that a decision will go our way. Picking it up in verse 28. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They did not enter the headquarters themselves, otherwise they would be defiled and unable to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and said, what charge do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man weren't a criminal, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. And it is, it's laughable if it wasn't so serious. When they deliver him to the hands of the highest authority they can, They have to pretend that they have some charge against him. If he wasn't a criminal, we wouldn't have brought him. Of course not. They don't even really know what they're accusing him of. Verse 38, Pilate, having spent some time questioning Jesus, says this. I find no grounds for charging him. I find no grounds for charging him. Up until this point, they've struggled to accuse Jesus, let alone even find or present any evidence against him. Having been through one, two, three courts, Jesus has been found innocent. The highest authority at the time says, I find no grounds for charging him. But this is what happens next. Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers also twisted together a crown, put it on his head and clothed him in a purple robe. And they kept coming up to him and saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and were slapping him in the face. Pilate went outside again and said to them, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no grounds for charging him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, here is the man. When the chief priests and the temple servants saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. Having just been declared for a second time totally innocent. We have a law, the Jews replied. And according to that law, he ought to die because... He made himself the son of God and at last the truth comes out. The true answer. That Jesus' only crime was revealing himself. Revealing himself to be God made flesh. I think what we have here is the perfect picture of our own hearts. We can't quite figure out why we should be rejecting Jesus, but we want to reject him at all costs. See, Jesus, if you've taken the time to read John's gospel over the last couple of weeks, is someone who comes into our lives and declares himself to be God, reveals himself to be God. And we say, no, you're not. Be gone with you. It's a terrifying picture of what goes on in our own hearts. But still, there's no great answer as to why he died. Because up until this point, no one has had the guts to call Jesus, to declare him guilty. Certainly not worthy of death. And yet, die he does. Chapter 19, verses 17 and 18. Carrying the cross by himself, he went out to what is called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side, with Jesus in the middle. Verse 28, after this, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished, that the scripture might be fulfilled. He said, I'm thirsty and a jar full of sour wine was sitting there. So they fixed a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it up to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. I did say it was a serious business, didn't I? Whatever is going on, Here, whatever is going on in the whole of John's gospel, the story of Jesus coming, whatever is going on in the big story of God and us and how we relate to one another, it's so much more than our flippant, why can't he just forgive and move on sort of nonsense. Because this, what happened to Jesus, was deliberate. What happened to Jesus was part of God's plan what happened to our author was written in his own handwriting but why why did jesus come and die you know people they were walking past and they said well if you are god then just rescue yourself you fool and, and he wouldn't if jesus is the perfect the innocent one that we claim him and John records him to be, then why is he dying as an amongst criminals? None of that story adds up. Unless, unless we reckon with the fact that God was deliberately acting in the death of Jesus. You may have heard of a gentleman called Saul of Tarsus. He was a Christian killer. In the years following Jesus's life, death and resurrection, he made it his business to travel around Israel, to round up those who had come to trust in Jesus, who had found life in him and to send them to jail or to send them to their deaths. He hated Jesus. That was until the moment that he met Jesus for himself. Later, he would write to many of the early churches, encouraging them to follow Jesus. And this is what he wrote to one such church. He wrote, be reconciled to God. Because God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He says, Dear lost, rebellious children, those who are in the darkness, step into the light. Those who are in the desert, come and drink from the fountain of life. Enemies become children once more because Jesus, who was perfect, became sin for us so that we, who are not perfect, could in him become the righteousness of God. Now there's a, there's a four-year PhD right there. But in the simplest terms, this is what Paul, who he would later be known as, is saying. That Jesus' death was the innocent one standing, hanging in the place of the guilty. Deliberately so. So that the guilty could take the place of the innocent. In order that Jesus might be that spring from which life flows, he had to go into the ground. In order that he might be the light to the entire world, he had to step into that complete and utter darkness. In other words, the answer to the question of why did Jesus die He died so that we could find life. He hung there, guilty in our place. How does that work out? How how is that even a real thing? Uh, Well, apologies if this sounds like a, a trite or a trivial explanation of it, but it's like a substitution being made in rugby. One player takes the place... Of another on the pitch. And that player on the pitch then moves and goes and sits on the bench in the place of the other one. They literally swap. They literally take places one for the other. See the bad news. The awful, the terrible news of the Christian story is this. That you and I are guilty. We've covered that over the last couple of weeks. That we're in the dark. That we're cut And all of that means death. We live as those who are awaiting sentence. We owe a great debt to God and we cannot pay it except with our own lives. And so someone has to pay that debt. Pay the price for us to be set free. Elsewhere, Paul who wrote about being reconciled to God through Jesus. He wrote this. He wrote that the wages of sin, of our rebellion, of our rejection, of our seeking ourselves above God, the wages of sin are death. It's what we deserve for the work that we've done. But the gift of God, he says, is eternal life. What we don't deserve, but we're given anyway. What's ours by right, by what we have done, is death. But what we don't deserve, but we're given anyway, through God, in God, by God, is life. We don't deserve to be forgiven. But in Jesus, God forgives us. Because Jesus stepped into our place. They couldn't quite put their finger on it, but they knew that Jesus had to die. We get to see that Jesus had to die so that we and they could find life. Now that is why the whole Christian story is called Good News. Because without Jesus dying in our place, it's just bad news, lumped in with sad news. But now that God has acted in Jesus, now that the light was willing to be extinguished, now that the spring of life entered into death, now it can become a story of hope and joy and even of peace made through his blood. And each and every day, we are faced with the opportunity to respond to that story, to that news. How do we respond? How will you respond? I think there are generally different ways that we respond to news. Sometimes we try our best to avoid the news. We don't like it necessarily. We don't like how it makes us feel or how it makes us see the world. So we do everything we can to silence it. We turn updates off on our phone. We we don't click on certain websites. We, we certainly don't turn the TV on at 6pm or 10pm because we just don't want to know what's going on in the world. Sometimes we reject the news. We take the time to listen, but then we say no. That's fake. That isn't true. That's that's got nothing to do with us. Sometimes we can embrace the news. And I would say how we respond to this news, good news, the true story of God and us. How we respond is literally the difference between life and death. It's, It's literally the difference between Living in the darkness and stepping into the light. It's literally the difference between existing in that dry and desolate and dead desert and coming to and enjoying the spring, the fountain of life. It's the difference between being strangers and enemies of the God who created and rules over all things or of being those counted and called his children and each and every day we face that same choice how will we respond to that news how will we respond to that true story will we avoid it will we we try our best not to contemplate it try our best not to uh, let it enter our ears and enter our minds will we reject it will we just say Do you know what that is false news, fake news, can't be dealt with, can't be trusted, has to be kicked a touch? Or will we embrace it? Will we do the very thing that John wants us to? The very thing John expects us to do is to see Jesus, to believe Jesus, to follow him and in his name find life. For this news to be good news For this true story to be a glad and happy story, it requires you and I to see, to believe, and to walk with Jesus into life. My prayer is that you will do that for the first time, you will do that for the thousandth time, that each and every day we would look, we would see, and we would respond to Jesus the one who has come to rescue, the one who has come to shine light into darkness, the one who has come to bring life. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you that you are a God who does not ignore the serious, the desperate, the heavy things of this world. That you are a God who recognise the severity, the, the seriousness of the situation that we are in and you have acted drastically in history to do something about it. Lord, help each and every one of us to see Jesus on the cross, to see the innocent dying in the place of the guilty and help us to see for ourselves just how serious the darkness, the separation, our sin is. But Lord, help us not to remain there. Help us to be a people who are each and every day filled with thankfulness, filled with joy, filled with hope, because you have done what is necessary. Willingly, joyfully even, you have done what is necessary to bring us back. The word, Lord, wanted to be found in flesh so that he could eye and in dying defeat death and bring us life give us eyes to see give us ears to hear today and every day that Jesus is the way that Jesus is the truth that Jesus is life help us to to walk with him help us to enjoy him Help us to know you and to know Jesus. Amen.